while you're, while you're sitting, just stay in that uh, kind of mindset of prayer. And so, Lord, we continue that prayer that Josh just prayed. And we ask that today that as we look into your word, as we see the, the story of your people unfolding in front of us, that we would see ourselves in that story. Not because our life is about us, but because you use your word to teach us. We believe what the author of Hebrews said, that uh, your word is sharp and it divides our motives, divides our hearts. And we ask that you would do that with us today. So we, we come to you with open hands, with open hearts. This is why we worship. This is why we sit uh, and, and listen and ponder and uh, open your word that you would do holy surgery on us. That you would show us uh, how to move, how to love, how to be fully surrendered to you. Lord, we're in uh, difficult times. That's the, the mildest way to describe it. And so we're searching. And as we search, we pray that you would allow our hearts to find you. That's what what your son said. If you seek me, you'll find me. And so today we seek and we ask that you would uh, give us a glimpse of who you are and what you want for us. This is our hope. This is our prayer. And uh, we ask for this in your powerful name. Would you meet us, continue to meet us as your presence fills this place, and not just only, of course, in this place, but in the many homes where many are watching and, uh, and experiencing um, church distributed. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus, and we say amen together, amen. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad uh, if you're online, sorry about that, that was me, uh, that you're there and uh, that we could be together. Uh, Our hope is that uh, over the next few weeks as we continue to uh, chart this path as a church that that we can grow some together in in unique ways. And it's an interesting time because when you talk about being together, we're not together with a lot of different people these days, you know, and even when we're in public places, uh, whether it's the grocery store or uh, neighborhoods, we have this, this feeling that social distance is the thing. And I mean, you're not used to coming into church, except for the last several months, of course, without greeting somebody or shaking somebody's hand or having a warm and welcoming conversation. And this takes a toll on your heart and on your life. It makes you feel isolated. It makes you feel separate. It makes you feel like you are more alone than you are. And uh, we want you to know, especially if you're at home watching, that you're not alone, that we're with you. And we believe that God's presence transcends space. And we believe that even though you may not have come in here and received a physical hug, that your presence is welcomed and and we hug you in spirit, Um, which is so much more hygienic, apparently. So we're we're glad you're here. So the question that we asked last week was this question, and uh, and maybe it it caused you to, to ponder your life. We wanted you to think about it this week as well. What are you working on these days? And let's be honest, some of us are working on getting through the day. Some of us are working on just sort of surviving and trying to keep our head above water or maybe our mental attitude above desperate. Uh, Some of us are doing a little better than that maybe. And for most of us, it depends on the day or the week and what happens and maybe how much time you spend on social media or how many headlines you read or how sideways the people you live with are or your best friends or maybe even coworkers. 
What are you working on these days? And, and the reason why we wanted you to ponder this is because if we're going to allow the story of God's people in terms of the temple and how things are happening, these exiles that are returning home, they're building, you're building too. And we'd like to think that, I don't want to be working on anything. Maybe we're tired of working or just tired in general, but we want you to know that you're always working on something. In fact, the, the question that we asked in connection with this is, who are you becoming? In other words, you're always becoming something, more kind or less kind, more helpful, less helpful, more loving, more generous, or maybe less the other direction, who knows, but you're becoming something. And so even in this season where we are finding ourselves with uncertainty and questions, this is an important question to ask. Who are you becoming? Are you trusting God more or less? And then how does that work itself out in your daily life? And if that was the question last week, and if you were wrestling with it or even pondering it, or maybe this is just new to you, you didn't pay attention last week at all, or you weren't around or online or first time here or watching or whatever, then the question that we want to wrestle with this week that's connected to it is this. If you're building something, if you're becoming something, then the question that the Israelites had to wrestle with and that we will today is who, who is helping you do this building? Who's helping you do it? You're not doing it alone. In fact, anything important in your life, you won't do alone. Anything significant, anything worth doing, you will not do alone. So who is it that is helping you build? Who's with you? Who do you lock arms with? Who do you make progress with? When you get to a juncture in your life and you're not sure, should I go right, should I go left, or how do we proceed, who do you ask? Who do you lean on in that way? Who is helping you build? Who is helping you become? It's a really important question. When, when the Israelites, when they begin to build, there's a bunch of them, about 50,000 or so, that come back from Persia. They come into the city, they leave for a while, and they'll get discouraged in a short time, but they come back to Jerusalem to build. So there's a bunch of them that are building, and this question of who is going to help them build is one of the first questions that they have to wrestle with. Here's what it says in, in Ezra. You'll see it on the screen above and up here with me. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, now when this, this chapter begins, there's some interesting facts that, are, that become apparent. Here's what you need to know historically. When the author of Ezra calls these people that we're about to hear about, not the exiles, these are residents of the local area, Judah, residents of Judah and Jerusalem, they called them enemies. They don't know they're enemies at the moment. This is the perspective of history. They find out that they're enemies. History will tell this. But they don't know they're enemies yet. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel. Now, you might not remember, Zerubbabel is the governor. He's the governor of the area. He wasn't elected by the people. He was appointed by King Cyrus of Persia. And he's the political leader of the exiles that have returned. And he's leading this charge to rebuild the altar and the temple. And so Zerubbabel, the God, the, the, Zerubbabel and the heads of the families, they all said this to them. Now, when they give their answer, 
it would be a little bit confusing. And here's why, because uh, they have a big task in front of them. Who wouldn't want help if they have a task in front of them? And their task involves moving blocks and moving bricks. It doesn't require a ton of necessarily technical expertise. I mean, if you're helping me and I'm building something in my house or in my yard, and I just say that goes there, and all I need is a strong back, some strong arms, weak mind is fine with me, then you can help me move the rock or the brick. They come and they offer help. Here's the answer that they give to them. They said to them, Zerubbabel, the heads of the families, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esheradon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Their request comes and they say, we're like you, we're the same. And their answer was this, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. It's a turning point in the story. And when this shift happens, this is when things begin to go rough for the people of Israel. They've come back, they're building, the neighbors see it, they come over and they say, do you want some help? Yesterday, my neighbor came home with a trailer, big trees in it. I thought, no, I mean, his boys are little. He's not going to be able to pull that thing out of his trailer. And so I just offered, do you need some help? And he said, we alone, no, he didn't. He he didn't, because it didn't matter, right? I said, sure, yeah, I may need some help getting this tree out of my trailer. The people of Israel, the leaders, Zerubbabel, and all the heads of the family say, no, thank you. Go back home. We don't need your help. Now, opinions about why they gave this answer are incredibly varied. Some people believe historically that these were not Jewish men and women, although it appears that they probably were. Some would say that exactly what Zerubbabel says is very clear. King Cyrus, who Zerubbabel works for, is his boss. King Cyrus gave him some instructions. You are the 50,000, they're going to go home and you're going to build and so that's who gets to build. If, if King Cyrus wanted the locals to help, he would have said so. So Zerubbabel, being the strong, toe-the-line political leader that he is, just says, nope, that's not how it's going to work. Some believe that God led Zerubbabel to understand and know that they were, in fact, enemies, that they weren't really coming to help, that they were going to help, but they were probably going to thwart their efforts. I don't have any idea why. In fact, it's very difficult to pinpoint the reason why. But we do know this. This is when their troubles began. And maybe their troubles would have been worse had they let them on the inside. Maybe they just would have been just as bad had they kept them on the outside. But at this point in time, things get really tough for the Israelites that are rebuilding. And I think what God would want us to know from this is very clear. If you're becoming something, if you're moving toward to be the person that God intended for you to be, you will sense, receive, experience opposition always. You will always experience opposition. 
That opposition can come from any number of places. It may come from people who seem friendly. It may come come from people who you already know are enemies. But the path that Jesus describes, the the narrow path is, is uphill, it's rocky, it's difficult. For you to become the person God intended, you will absolutely receive opposition. But the question that I want you to really wrestle with today is this one. As you ponder them building the temple, receiving offers for help, this is a big task. This is going to take years, they say. We alone will build it. They say we alone. There's thousands of them. The question that I think is worth wrestling with for you today is this question. Who is helping you build? Who is working alongside you? Who do you trust to walk over to the pile and pick up the right brick and put it in the right place in the right way? Who's helping you become who you're becoming? Who do you, when they walk up and say, can I help? You look at them and say, yeah, grab a shovel. Let's get to work. I trust you. You're with me. We're in this together. It's your family, your friends. For some of you, it's a spouse. For some of you, it's somebody you've known for years. Maybe it's somebody you decided to start a company with. You have like minds and like hearts, and you think, let's build this together. Somebody that you've met recently that you think, I think we're made of the same stuff. We can work together. Who is it that's helping you build? And I bet through all of this time that we've gone through, as the tension in our culture builds, I bet you've looked at a few people along the way and said, I thought we were building the same thing, and it turns out we're not. I'm not sure that we can work together anymore. Has that happened to you? Have you looked around and thought, I don't even know what to do with you now. Apparently, we feel differently about things, and it took a pandemic to make it obvious. Who is helping you build? Think about it this way, okay? We'll think about it in these little ovals here. Right in the middle is you, because who's in the center of your life? Well, I mean, it's supposed to be God and all, but just for the sake of this discussion, it's you. And you're in the center of things, and there you are, and you've decided that you want to build a life. You want to move in a direction. You want to head down a path. You want to become something. You have some hopes, some dreams. You think about the future in this way, and so you add some people to your circle, and they're happy people, and they're with you, and they're agreeable people, and they could be, maybe, like I said, a spouse or a friend or somebody that knows the things that you know or works in the same industry that you work in or somebody that has a heart like yours or feels like you feel or believes in God like you believe in God. Whatever, whoever it is, you decide we can move in the same direction. They come alongside you and decide, let's row in the right direction. This is how you know that you maybe have married the right person when you rent a canoe together. You ever canoed with somebody? It's canoeing or wallpapering, one of those two things. Nobody hangs wallpaper anymore. When we first got married and we started to hang wallpaper, we, Donna found out 
he's not very exacting. He just kind of slaps it up there. And I found out, man, she just wants it a certain way. And all of these things we found out about each other and we realized, oh, you know, if Donna doesn't help me, it looks really bad when we're done. And Donna thought, if Phil doesn't help me, it takes us six weeks to do one room. And so we found some weird place in the middle, and we did this when we were canoeing, when we were dating, you know, who's going to be in the back, who's leading, who's steering, all of these things we find out. Are we working together? Are we moving in the right direction? You find this out with friends, too, when you sit down and compare values and decide what direction you want to head and who you want to become. Who are you becoming? Who's in this circle with you? And then along come some people in your life. They're sort of like these enemies of Judah and Benjamin. And you know, they're smiling at you, but they give you that wink, right? And that wink, you're not sure if it means, should I be scared or are we the same? You don't know what it means. When they wink at you, you're like, oh, that makes me just a little nervous, but I do need some help. I don't know how I'm going to move forward. And these people, they say, we're like you, just like they did. We think like you think. And maybe it seems that way for a week, a month, a year, a decade. And then something happens, a crack, a fissure, some sort of interesting part in your relationship where you realize, oh, we don't think the same. And it's not like, oh, a little bit off, it's a lot off. Now we have to figure out, are we parting company? When... Zerubbabel and his friends said, no, no, you can't help. We're on our own. We're doing this thing. Like I said, that's when their trouble began. They realized that the smile that they gave him when they walked up was that smile with a wink. And for whatever reason, their instincts were right because immediately they began to discourage those who were building. Have you ever had anybody who feels like we're grabbing bricks together, but I feel like you're discouraging me as we build? Not somebody that doesn't make much of you. That's selfish. That's not what I'm talking about. Somebody that tries to take you a different direction. I would guess that you have some exact circumstances and maybe even some faces and names that are coming to mind. And then even beyond that circle of people that are sort of in this, in this you know, you can't decide. Are they my friends or are they court jesters? What are they? You've got another little crew out here. And they're angry. They're clearly enemies. You can tell by the way that they act. Their goal, their, their hope, their objective is to discourage and get in somebody's way. And maybe you've seen some people flare up like this in the context of all that we're going through right now, whether they're angry about this political issue or this social issue or this approach that the government is taking or maybe even something more personal for you. It's hard to know when you're becoming something, which we hope every Christ follower becoming more like Jesus, moving down a path more like him. It's hard to know who's on the team with you and who's just there to, oh, I don't know, have a little fun, mess it up, trip you along the way. And I bet in your own life you thought that someone was for you you thought that someone was working with you, and you found out that that wasn't the case. In fact, I would even say this, that the tension in your life, your family, your workplace, 
your closest friends, the friends out in these outer circles, the tension that you feel, the, the bitterness that you feel about whatever, the, the lack of love that you feel or the hardness of your heart, the difficulty in you moving forward, becoming who you want to become, it has everything to do with this. Who's with you? Who can you journey with? Who can you work alongside? Who is helping you build? It's really hard to figure out who's on the same team, isn't it? And this isn't new. It's not a pandemic that's caused it. All kinds of things caused this stuff to come to light. At one point, Jesus had sent the disciples out to do some work. Maybe you remember the story. He sent them out to do some work, and they're doing the work, and they come back, and they give them a report. And here's what they say to Jesus. They say, John, one of them in particular, said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to what? Just think about that for a minute. John goes out. He's been with Jesus. He's doing the work. He's taking care of business. He's doing some very unique things, and he sees somebody that's doing the same work that he's doing. And they're doing it even in the same way. They're using the name of their teacher, their rabbi, to do it. But John says, we told him to, what? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Well, he tells you why, right? What does he say? Say it with me. Because he isn't in our... Just ponder this for just a moment. This was before the church even started. How many times have you been someplace and they have said, well, they're not like us. They're not with us. They aren't a part of our group. They aren't our thing. They don't think like us. They don't believe like us. They don't read it like us. They don't vote like us. They don't spend like us. They don't have the same values as us. How old is this problem? How old is this issue? They can't even figure out. The disciples 2,000 years ago can't even figure out who's a part of our team and who isn't a part of our team, who is with us and who isn't. He's not one of us. <clears throat> She's not one of us. It's hard to figure out who's with you, isn't it? And so who's helping you build? Are they one of us? Man, that's a tough question. Jesus gave him a great answer. Here's what Jesus said. But Jesus said, what? Don't stop him. Wait, wait, Jesus, you don't even know his name. You don't even know his name. You don't know where we were. You don't know what he was doing. What does Jesus say? Uh, give me all the details. Nope, nope. Jesus says, what? Say it with me. Don't stop him. Why? Anyone who is not against you is for you. Now, the words of Jesus are life to me. But sometimes I read them and I think that does not seem very helpful. Do you ever think that? Of course. And of course, maybe it's the spirit, you know, not working in my heart. Maybe it's because I'm reading it from one angle. You're allowed to think this. God wants your doubts. He wants your misgivings. He wants all of it. If you're going to come to him, he wants all of you. You might as well say it now instead of pretending like you don't think it. This is what I think when I read this. Whoever is not against you is for you. How do you know who's against you? How do you know? There's another incident in the New Testament. Paul is in prison. And Paul's been put in prison because he's preaching. 
And while Paul's in prison and he's preaching, there are some people that are outside in this community that decide we want the leaders who have imprisoned Paul to believe that this movement is bigger than it is so that they sort of, you know, put the hammer down on Paul. We want to make life worse for Paul in prison. And so how can we do that? Well, we should start preaching too. They'll think it's a big movement that, that they'll be even more worried and they'll, maybe they'll go ahead and execute Paul. I don't know. All of this happens while Paul's in prison. And here's what Paul says about that. He says, it's true, it's absolutely true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry with selfish ambition, and they're not even sincere about it. It's absolutely true. There are people who are out there who are trying to make, he says in Philippians, they're trying to make my life worse by preaching the gospel. And it's probably working. You know, it probably makes the leaders nervous and agitated. They're probably locking things down more. They're probably a little more worried. All of this is happening, and it's true. Paul says it's absolutely true that that, that that is the case. There's some people out there that are, I would guess, according to what Jesus said, against him. But then Paul says this, from prison. But that doesn't, what? That doesn't matter. Are you kidding me? Paul, that's incredible. This is amazing. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, It's one of the most insightful, uh, really, anecdotes in all of the New Testament. The message about Christ is being preached either way. Paul's saying, come on, it it doesn't matter whether they're for me or against me. None of that matters. Christ is getting preached, and that's all that I care about. So if the exiles are going to rebuild, and they have some strong backs to come help them, and Zerubbabel, I believe, by God's leading, says, nope, what ensues, of course, is a, some discouragement, a letter-writing campaign to the leaders of Persia. This happens for years. It takes them years to complete the temple. And a lot of it's because of these people, these enemies, these enemies of Judah and Benjamin that got in their way. What do you do now that you're building? You're becoming something. How do you read the whole of Scripture and the story of the exiles and those who discourage and Jesus with his disciples and Paul in the New Testament? How do you decide, this is what I want to take away from this story that the exiles are happening? Because the truth is, when, when the week starts on tomorrow, when the week kicks off and you're back at work or trying to figure out how to work from home and you're so sick of Zoom, you're going to pull your hair out, or whatever it is that's happening in your life, maybe you're job hunting, maybe you're trying to figure out how to make financial ends meet because things are stretched so thin, you are going to have to keep moving down a path of becoming, becoming something. And by the end of the week, you're going to either be more trusting or less trusting, more giving, more open or more shut down and more bitter and more hardened. You're going to become something. And you're not going to do it alone. You're going to do it with people. Even the exiles didn't do it alone. They worked with people. They just picked certain people. So what do you take away from this story and the whole of Scripture, this moment in the return of history, the exiles? The first is this, and don't miss it. It's important. It's really key. Choose your inner circle wisely. Choose them wisely. There are some people that you're going to trust to help you build. Choose them wisely. There are some people 
that are going to come up to the block of bricks that you have, and they're, they're a mess. They're, they're one on top of the other, and they're not where they're supposed to be in your life. It's probably how a lot of us feel over the last four or five months. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to build something. There are some people that know that can help you figure out which brick goes on which brick. And how do you, like an expert builder, put that brick in the right place and put it in the right place in such a way that it doesn't move when there's a little rain or a little storm or a little anything, stress on the building? How do you build properly? There are people that know that can help. Are you walking with them? Do you know who they are? Do you trust them? That when they say, go left, go right, ah, you need to level that out a bit. Here's what you need to do as you build. Who are you becoming and who is building with you? And do you let them build alongside you? But when you do, oh my goodness, choose your inner circle wisely because the building that you're putting up today is either gonna withstand the storm tomorrow or it's gonna fall. It's either gonna help you move forward and become even stronger, help you build even a little bit more broadly. The foundation that you're laying is key. And as you build, you will find that your life built upon the words of Jesus and the life of who he is is sturdy and can withstand stress and difficulty. That doesn't mean you won't get hurt. Doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that you want to let somebody in your inner circle that shouldn't be there. That's how you and I learn, right? I mean, it's not about not getting hurt. It's not about not getting hurt. It's about deciding that you will love well. And if you let the right people in and learn over time how to do that, it means you can love more thoroughly, more completely, better. Here's how Proverbs says it, worth committing to memory. Proverbs 13, 20. In fact, let's just say it together. I bet by the time we get done, you can have this memorized. Ready? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Can you think of a time when you suffered harm? Can you think of the fools you were with? Of course you can. You were probably even somebody's fool at some point. You probably helped somebody else suffer harm. Say it with me again. You ready? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Wisdom rubs off. Expertise rubs off. Maturity rubs off. Thoughtfulness, love, all of the fruit of the Spirit, they all rub off. And the people you're with, the values they have, the wisdom they bring, it will either help you build thoughtfully a good foundation or you'll find yourself having to start over and start over and start over. But the truth is, this is the easy part of the lesson. We all know this. I mean, you were, somebody preached it to you when you were a teenager and talked about good company and how bad company corrupts good character and all of that. You know this, it's true. The tough part is this part here. What about these yahoos, right? What about this crowd? The ones you're not sure about, the ones that are angry, the ones that are tripping you up, the ones that are in the way, the ones that are poking at you right now, the ones that are questioning your motives and your politics and your values, the ones that are saying you're not who you're supposed to be and all of these sorts of things. What about them? How do you deal with them? The ones who come alongside you and you're not sure about their motives and they say, we wanna help. Let us help you build. And you're iffy 
on how you should treat them, what you should do, where should this relationship go? Do I get to ignore them? Do I get to be unkind? Do I get to treat them in such a way that just cuts them off from me completely? Absolutely not. There's a passage in the book of 2 Peter. It's in chapter 1. And this passage describes the very thing we're talking about. And it's worth you spending some time with. Here's how we'll wrap it up, but it's all about these people. This passage begins like this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, this alone ought to take your faith from this big to this big. This truth alone ought to be enough for you to have enough spiritual godly gas to move through this week. His divine power, God's divine power, has given not just those who love God, everyone, not just those who try to do right, everyone. He has given everything we need to us for life and godliness. But there's also some work to be done. This ought to be the gas in your tank, but then the strategy or the map is in the next few verses. And then he says this, for this very reason, what are the next three words? Say it with me. Make every... This is the essence of gospel and growth and sanctification in one passage of scripture. God's given you everything you need. Your righteousness won't get you there. Your, your efforts won't put you into God's good standing. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. However, you and I, we have to pick up the shovel. We have to decide that we're gonna dig in. God somehow has arranged our lives so that our effort move us toward who Jesus is. So he says, make every effort. And then he says this, to add to your faith goodness. And what follows in the next set of verses is a list of eight qualities. Eight qualities. Starts with faith and goodness, and it moves on from there. And they're like uh, building blocks. They're not linear, just like building blocks aren't. They overlap, some lay right on top of the other, but they allow you to build a foundation of godly character and who Jesus is and how we relate to others. And as you build this building that Peter describes in this letter, it builds toward virtues that matter more and are more encompassing that are really the center of Jesus and his own character. So for this very reason, you make every effort who are you becoming? It's a great map. How are you growing? What's showing up more in your life? It's a great map. The seventh quality that he mentions is the big one, I think, for today in this, this crowd out here that we're not sure about. Here's what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and so on and so on. The seventh one he mentions of eight is this one. Let's say it together. What is it? Brotherly kindness. The only thing that's after it is the word agape. It's this Christ-like practical love we've talked about so often here at Castle Oaks. But the one right before it is brotherly kindness. Now you can notice that the translation I'm using right now is the, the NIV 84. That was the translation that came out in 1984 of the New International Version. And brotherly kindness is really not a great translation. That's why it's been changed now. Yours probably says something a little bit different. Maybe mutual affection, that sort of thing. 
They didn't want you to be confused with agape being the centerpiece of love, but it is a kind of love. In fact, the word that's described, brotherly kindness, the word in the Greek that describes it is a word that you and I are very, very familiar with. It's this word. Say it with me. The city of what? Brotherly love. That's the word. Philadelphia is the English transliteration of the Greek word that Paul uses in this passage. And it describes a brotherly affection. The reason why it's termed this way is because, well, this word, Philadelphia, in the Greek, it was used outside the scriptures all the time, especially in Greek culture. But in Greek culture, it referred to one very specific meaning. It was exclusively used to describe brothers, biological brothers, who share the same father. They were Philadelphia. It was the way of our, their culture saying this, blood is thicker than water. We are brothers. We share the same dad, maybe not even the same mom, but we are blood brothers. That's how it was used in Greek culture. When the church co-opted this word, Philadelphia, they changed its meaning fundamentally in two very important ways. The first is this. It doesn't mean just brothers. And this is why the translators changed brotherly kindness to mutual affection or something like that in Scripture. It has nothing to do with gender at all. Not in any way. Of course, Philadelphia is still the city of brotherly love. But when the church grabbed this word and began using it to describe their fellowship, they clearly made it about everyone who is here is connected, male and female. The church did this over and over again. It wasn't that they said gender doesn't matter. What they said is, is your gender matters deeply, but you are still made in the image of God, no matter what gender you are. In other words... God's image is comprised of both genders. Read Genesis 1. It's abundantly clear. Adam, made in the image of God. Eve, made in the image of God. What does that mean? Is God not a father? No, no, that's not the point. The point is, is that God takes each one of his prized creation, people, and he puts his image on them. So not only does it refer not just to brothers, but brothers and sisters, but it's also saying, it's not about who our biological dad is. It's about the idea that you and I share the same parentage. We have the same parents. Every one of us. Before you can even get to agape love, Peter is saying, you have to understand what it means to experience Philadelphia, this brotherly kindness that is mutual affection, so the question that was asked in early pages of Genesis when Cain and Abel couldn't find their way to have a relationship, do you remember what God asked? <clears throat> Where's your brother? And what did he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Are you your sister's keeper? Yes, you are. Look, absolutely clear. Be careful who you let in your inner circle. You want to build and you want to become and you want to move in directions of becoming like Jesus. 
but our culture is moving toward places of hate and division. And that is not the pace that we want to follow. That is not the direction for the people of God. I don't care what somebody believes or thinks or writes or says or protests or wears or votes or I don't care about any of that. What, what Peter is saying, that if, if you want to understand what it means to work alongside somebody, let them in your inner circle. But everyone else who's in those outer circles, regardless of who they are, enemies of tri- tri- the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, people who are casting out demons in the name of Jesus, somebody who's preaching to keep Paul in prison in hopes that he'll be executed, it doesn't even matter. For this very reason, we will make every effort to add to our faith Philadelphia, a kindness that goes beyond gender, it goes beyond any area of allegiance and says, I love, I love. It's not agape, it's different, it's phileo, I love. And yes, I am my sister's keeper. We have the same parents. Yes, I'm my brother's keeper. We have the same parentage. We all bear the image of God. And so this week, you will not come across anyone, living, breathing person, that doesn't bear God's image. You won't. They all do. God's called you to offer Philadelphia to them. You don't have to let them carry your bricks. That's another question. Be careful. You let into your inner circle. Be careful. But with every interaction, every hope, every word out of your mouth, every intent toward them, God has called us to give this Philadelphia to every one of them. That indeed is the only thing that will change the world, I promise. It happened through Jesus. And he's counting on it happening through you too. That's why he prayed, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let me guide you through a prayer that will help us down this path this week. Lord, we come to you right now. We're praying because we believe that uh, so often what comes out of us is anything but Philadelphia, anything but mutual affection for the people around us. And we believe we're justified. We We believe often that we've been poked first or slapped first or offended first. Lord, we believe that we are just like the exiles that you sent back to Jerusalem that we're building every day. And we are becoming someone every day. Or we want to love like this. We want to love knowing and believing that, that your love for us, because of your divine power, you've given us everything that we need. But that doesn't mean that we can uh, click it off, go into autopilot, decide that we're just coasting. We believe that you want us actively engaged in this world in thoughtful, loving, kind ways. So are those that are listening online in their, in their homes, various places, some on vacation, those that are in this room right now, 
I cannot even begin to imagine the number of times we will cross paths with another image bearer this week at work, in our homes, uh, with our neighbors, family members. And Lord, we will cross paths physically in the stores or various places. We'll cross paths virtually on social media. Our hope and our prayer is that every response that we give would demonstrate this mutual affection, this brotherly kindness, this Philadelphia. Lord, my hope and prayer is this week that we will still continue to wrestle with the questions that have been on this screen for the last two weeks. What are we working on these days? Who are we becoming? And who is helping us build? And so those of us right here, right now. May we take stock of this inner circle that we have. May we be thoughtful about who's helping us put these blocks in place. We pray that you would guide us, give us wisdom and discernment. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. Lord, we want wisdom. We desperately want more of you. And we pray for that this week. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. And we all say it together. We say, amen.